Tell us a little bit about what you saw and, and, and being able to relay that message to Cora when you watched Kimbrell pitch and, and kind of help out so he wasn't uh, tipping his pitches. So tipping pitches, we hear about it all the time. People at home understand what tipping pitches is all about. It's amazing. Man. And that's remarkable. Alex, the cold open that I was going to do for this podcast has been traded by David Forst and signed off on by Billy Bean and John Fisher. So, no cold open this week. Sorry, bud. Bit of a low blow. Little too, little too soon. Uh, is it? Is it? I, is it too no. soon? We're doing a baseball podcast about how cheap owners are. <laughs> One owner in particular. No, 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 no. We'll hit on some other owners this time through. Well, that's fine. I have I have one in particular I'd like to direct my ire towards, so I'm kind of hoping you can um, carry the rest of that. Because I just, I'm at capacity right now, you know? Your I, emotional cup is overflowing. I, exactly, yes. Said with, with all the love in the world. I assume you're referring to John Fisher is the, is the one that you want to direct all of your ire toward. You know me well. <laughs> uh, again, far be it for me to disparage the only no, the only owner whose contact information I actually have, right? So I want to tread lightly here, but it's nothing he hasn't heard from me before. I'll just put that out there. These are all conversations we've all had offline, anyway. So I'm, you know, it's not news to him. Do you consider you and John Fisher to have an open and honest dialogue? You know, I I I think we do. Um, much of our conversations are like late night chats. You know, like after dark when he just kind of needs a shoulder. <laughs> it's John Fisher hits me up for booty calls. <laughs> he needs someone in, like. his, in his corner. <laughs> um, okay, well, we're going to talk. I, I guess we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the A's. There's not that much interesting to say, to be honest. We're going to talk about the spree of free agents who have signed in the past week since we last podcasted. We'll do a little discourse on the discourse as we are wont to do here at Tipping Pitches. And uh, after all that, we're going to talk to Bradford William Davis about his bombshell investigative piece revealing that there were three baseballs used during the Major League Baseball season last year. Not one, not two, but three baseballs. But before we do all of that, I am Bobby Wagner. I am Alex Baisley. And you are listening to Tipping Pitches. Alex, no new patrons this week. Pain. We let we let everyone down, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's okay. I understand. Thank you to everybody who has signed up for our Patreon. You can sign up for that Patreon at patreon.com slash tipping pitches. If you've been thinking about signing up, or if you know someone in your life who has been thinking about signing up and you want to gift them that for the holiday season, that would be great. You know what else you can do for the holiday season? You can go to our store, tippingpitches.myshopify.com, buy some merchandise for your for the Tipping Pitches lover in your life, promo code ROB for 15% off for listeners of the podcast. ROB, as in Rob Manfred, as in the commissioner who is using many different forms of the baseball to play Major League Baseball. <laughs> Alex, I want to open this week by talking about payroll. Are you okay with opening this week by talking about payroll? It's end of year, you know? Right. We do have we have some books to balance. Taxes here, coming soon. Internal. Exactly. Yes. Right. So, so yes, let's talk I'm, about- I'm here for it. Let's talk about payroll. I want to talk about the payroll of the New York Mets. 
Would you like to talk about that with me? No, I wouldn't. I have no interest. The payroll of the New York Mets is now north of $300 million. That is the highest payroll ever. Steve Cohen, along with the help of Billy Epler, who says yes to spending all of Steve Cohen's money, has exceeded the $293 million tax level, the top tax level, in the most recent collective bargaining agreement, which means that every dollar that they spend after that will basically be taxed at 100%. So they will double that. So I believe the Mets tax bill is now over $70 million. So the total payroll, the functional payroll, is is approaching $400 million. Now, I said all of those details just to say this. I don't give a fuck. I don't care. I don't care about how much money they're spending on players. I don't care if the payroll was over a billion dollars a year. Do you know why I don't care? Because it's not my money. It's not my money. <laughs> I I would like to I would like you to amend your accounting of how much they're spending a little bit. Yes, they might spend $400 million next year, but how much are they spending over the next 10 years? Because that's really kind of the terms (laughs) in which I think about this. I need you to tell me that they are committed to spending $1.3 billion over the next unlimited amount of time. Yes, exactly. That's the only, (laughs) that's the only way my, my small brain can physically understand the, just the sacrifices that Steve Cohen is making. All right, Jeff Passan. Okay, <laughs> take it down a notch. Um, there's been a lot of discussion about the Mets payroll. There's been a lot of comparing how much the Mets are spending on two players versus eight players from a different roster, comparing how much the Mets are paying in payroll tax to how much other teams are spending on their entire payroll. It's just been a lot of discourse. about. It's just been a lot of discussion. And you know what? I think it's really weird. Like, I'm not surprised by it, but I think it's weird that it's normal how much we talk about the teams who spend the most money and how much money they are spending and how much money they are being taxed for how much they're spending. Because you know what? I was thinking about this earlier today. Do you know how much money the Cubs spend on developing Brickleyville? No. Should I? (laughs) Do you know how much money the Braves spend on developing the battery? Probably, Probably a lot. Probably a chunk of change. Do you know how much money... Steve Cohen is pouring into trying to get a casino next to City Field. Do do you know how much money the Rays are going to spend on their version of Xfinity Live in Tampa? Well, do, zero. Do you know how much that money? Zero, but yeah, that's true. Taxpayer money. Do you know how much money the Padres are going to be spending on becoming landlords in the Greater San Diego area? Like we don't talk about any of the other expenditures, which are not insignificant expenditures. So I don't know why we talk about the payroll down to the dollars and cents. I guess the only answer is that we know that number and we don't know the exact numbers for the other expenditures because teams don't open their books. But that's even more of a reason not to whine about how much money the top teams are spending. I mean, I understand why it is, right? Because you get to see in real time the fruits of those contracts, right? I Most fans don't care about how much money goes into the sports book or a housing development or or whatever it is because that's not what they're rooting for, right? And they are not seeing the fluctuations in how much money they're pulling in or how well that arm of the business is doing year over year. No one signs up for that despite despite our desire to protect owners' uh, interests entirely not just their baseball interests. Um, so again, like it, it doesn't, 
surprise me that that's the thing we focus on because when you think about the business of baseball, that's the most obvious entry point, right? We see the players, we we watch them play every day. Um, but but it's important to note that it's just an entry point, right? It's just yes. a fraction of the pie. But also, if the business of baseball is what we see every day in the players, why do we freak out when teams spend money on the business of baseball? <laughs> why do we freak out when teams spend money on baseball? Why is it weird that Steve Cohen is putting an extra $100 million into payroll versus putting an extra $100 million into multi-purpose housing with retail space on the first level like every other development that's going up in New York City right now. Like, it's not weird to spend money on baseball when you own a baseball team. This should be the norm. This should be not... What what the other teams are doing is weird. (laughs) And I know that I'm preaching to the choir, really, with this, with Tipping Pitches listeners, but I just feel like I'm driving myself like a little bit crazy here. Like, Steve Cohen new owner came in and said, you know what would be fun? Having a good baseball team. I'm going to basically prioritize that above all other things. And the rest of the league is freaking out about it. Well, because he's blowing their co- their cover, right? <laughs> yes. Hey, on on the flip side, I just want to say, it's it's not all doom and gloom in Oakland because the A's finally have guaranteed contracts for next year. Oh, really? As, as of this week, there are players who have contracts that are inked that the A's have to pay out. So, I mean, I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop and wondering where they're going to uh, cut that money elsewhere. But things are looking up. You know, I we're on the trajectory towards you. I just want to know that you shouldn't sleep easy at night because we're, we're well on our way. A's are, A's are on the Mets' tail. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, where would you like to start on free agency? From the past week, we finished recording our podcast last Sunday night, um, mainly talking a lot about Jacob Degrom, who was sort of the first big free agent domino to fall um, in an unfortunate direction for Mets fans. But so much has happened since then on the Mets front and elsewhere that it feels like Degrom is more or less old news. <laughs> I mean, there was right. a whole news cycle from this past week about Mets fans being mad at DeGrom and his press conference and him saying that he wanted to go be part of a winning culture. And obviously that's a cliche, but it seems pretty bad when you go from a team with 101 wins to a team with 68 wins and you say you want to be part of a winning culture. It was just a whole discourse cycle that that got frankly overshadowed by the sheer speed of news that was coming out in this past week. We had Aaron Judge sign back with the New York Yankees, nine years, 360 million. Justin Verlander signed last Monday, basically a few hours after we put our podcast out with the Mets for two years and $86 million. Um, Just today, you know, Chris Bassett signed with the Toronto Blue Jays and the A's traded Sean Murphy to the Atlanta Braves um, in a three-team trade with the Brewers. Trey Trey Turner Turner to the Phillies, Xander Bogarts to the Padres. Like, the dominoes have, have fallen, past tense. So... What do you look back on this past week and care most about? One thing that kind of stands out to me is the sort of grand grandiosity of a lot of these contracts. Because we've spent years kind of, and when I say we, I just mean kind of baseball fans in general, debating the efficacy of the mega deal, right? Is it worth it to commit $200 million, $300 million to a player and have them on the team? for the rest of your life, right? Those deals always look 
always look bad in the rearview mirror. You know, he's going to be 40 and he's not going to be pulling his weight, right? The Albert Pujols boogeyman. And what we're seeing is teams say, that doesn't matter to us. We're not, we're not thinking about it in the way that you're thinking about it because we yeah. recognize we can give Trey Turner $300 million over the next 11 years and it's going to be a net positive for our team, right? And so this, this implicit admission on the part of front offices that they're okay with this sort of thing should give cover to fans to also be okay with that sort of thing. And I don't expect the narrative to change that way. And I also am not under the assumption that MLB owners are doing this out of the goodness of their hearts because they want guys on their teams for life. I know there's a business move in there. I know there's a business rationale in there that, that they are making, that there is a financial gain to be made by this. But great. If, if that's how you need to justify actually paying the players what they deserve, making fans happy in the process, I have no, I have no qualms with it. I'm not going to look back on Aaron Judge's contract and say, bad move by the Yankees. I almost, almost no matter how his contract goes, worth every penny. Sorry. I think it's fascinating. You know, I think when we talk about these things, something that we should do more of is that we should split up conversation and coverage of these two things. So like conversation from a fan's perspective, in my mind, is less harmful than slanted coverage of these stories. So like when I started this podcast by yelling about the Mets payroll, do do I really care if fans are worried about the payroll? Not really. Like I think that that's cucked behavior and we shouldn't be doing that as fans. But I, I understand from a fan's perspective having this innate fear that if you run a $300 million payroll out this year and it doesn't work out and it doesn't work out next year and you don't win the World Series, then owner be- owner behavior in the past would lead you to believe that they're not going to continue to do that in perpetuity if it's not paying dividends on the field in the form of championships or in the form of continued increase in, increase in revenue, which again, because of revenue sharing, you don't even see all of it. So there are these structures in place. And I think fans, even if they don't know all of the details of that, they implicitly understand that that's how owners are going to behave. But when I look at how the media covers these things and I see how much they care about spending on players and how much they frame it in terms of how generous owners are being towards giving out these huge contracts, that's when I start to get really disappointed because that sort of reinforces that as the knee-jerk reaction to every contract, every big contract. Like, you can find a reason to poke a hole in any contract. Like, welcome to real life. Not everything works out exactly like you expect it to the day that you ink a contract. Maybe it works out better. Maybe it works out worse. But like, to look at every contract and say, I wouldn't have done it, it's like, okay, well then, would you have a baseball team? Like, if you were a GM and you wouldn't have done that contract, who would be on your team? Would you look like the A's? Would you look like the Rockies? Would you look like the Brewers? Like, do those teams have any prospects? Are those teams looking to be... Tough beat to say that on the day that the Brewers fleeced the Braves and A's. (laughs) (laughs) But but yeah, but yeah. In reality, though, like, or or even even if, let's say, a a more exciting and a better team like the Mariners. Like, Mm -hmm. would you be Jerry DePoto and just come in second on every big free agent who could maybe push you into, like, real contender status? Now they're just, like, fringe contender. Like, I did this whole thread about how 
Only two teams in the last 12 years have won a World Series with their payroll being outside the top 10. And people got so mad acting like I was individually damning them as fans and their team and saying their team is bad. That's not what I was saying. What I'm saying is you can do everything else right, but if you don't also spend to fill out the rest of your roster, it's very historically unlikely that you're going to win a World Series. So when Trey Turner signs or... Bryce Harper signs or Manny Machado signs, by the way, a contract that has worked out swimmingly, so swimmingly that he might even opt out next year and they still want to resign him. I mean, so so swimmingly that you don't hear about how well it's worked out. I just like to point that out. (laughs) Same with Bryce Harper, right? Like, yeah, right, right. When Francisco Lindor signs, when Max Scherzer signs, like, of course, there's going to be a statistical case that you could shade and make for a reason why you shouldn't have given them that money. But then we just we don't have a we don't have a sport then. If you only ever give contracts that are guaranteed to work out dollars and cents in the team's favor, then there's no sport. So I just think I like what you said that GMs clearly are operating on a different set of input values than the outdated fan bases and the more outdated media, honestly, that are covering mm-hmm. these. Like, I think fans are actually kind of ahead of some of these media members or a lot of these media members that are, like, stuck in, like, you know, mid-2000s era sabermetrics where, like, all these long contracts usually look really bad by the end because of the precipitous decline of position players after the age of 35 or whatever. Right. I mean, it's a selective analysis that you can make about any contract. As you're saying, you pick the time frame where you think the player will be bad and then say, I think the player's going to be bad at some point. <laughs> you know, I mean, we saw this this week. The Red Sox signed Masataka Yoshida um, from Japan, who's an outfielder who's, who's really known for his ability to, to get on base. Uh, I feel like saying that phrase is like, the Beetlejuice for for Billy Bean, you know, like I'm afraid he's gonna like appear behind me if I talk <laughs> about a player getting with. But but in the days coming after that that signing was announced, the move was largely panned by you know all the MLB sort of insiders and prospect evaluators and that sort of thing. And and it was you know five years, ninety million dollars. I'm not an evaluator. I don't know how good Yoshida's gonna be. I don't know how this contract uh, stacks up against his perceived value to major league baseball teams. And if you want to critique the move, I'm okay with that. I just want you to have the same energy when you think that a team just got an absolute steal in a contract, right? Like don't come out of the woodworks when you just think something looks bad on paper. It's it's dishonest framing, and it does a disservice to fans and the overall atmosphere around the business of baseball. Right. I just think that we've taken this incredibly inside baseball concept, which is, you know, evaluating how a, one player works inside of baseball's very specific market. And we've turned it into like the only form of baseball analysis. You know what I mean? Like this is like the only way that players are talked about. It's not like, did this player make his team better? It's like, did this player make his team better for what they paid him? There's no divorcing these things anymore. When, if you believe the way that Moneyball is framed, if you believe the way that Michael Lewis wrote the book, right? 
Billy Bean didn't come in and say, I want to get rid of Jason Giambi because he's too expensive. He said, we're not going to be able to sign Jason Giambi because our owner is not going to allow us to spend that much on a contract. We've never done it before. The Yankees have more money. They're going to outbid us. That's the truth. Okay, that's reality. No matter how you feel about it, that's reality. Now, what can we do to overcome that? So that wasn't the goal. That was the reaction. That was the plan B. And now, I feel like we have so many players, media, and fans because of Billy Bean, because of the success, because of the book, because of the myth-making of it, who are like, well, why not just make that plan A? And I'm like, well, because Giambi was fucking better than who they replaced him with. That was the whole point. That was the whole point. Like, that was step one, is admitting that Giambi is better than anyone that we have. So like, did you did you read to the end of Moneyball? Did you see? Did what you read happened? the fucking first <laughs> chapter of Moneyball? <laughs> right. Did you read to the end? Yeah, they lost. <laughs> right. Like, why is that? Why is it Plan A now? I mean, it's it, truly. If there's one tweet that I could choose that personifies the last twenty years of baseball coverage, it's his tweet about Max Scherzer and Billy Bean yeah. and and Bean making fifteen moves to make the team worse and Nat signed Scherzer. I don't see it. Yeah. Like. I just, maybe this is just because I'm coming off, uh, I'm coming into this podcast recording like tired and the Mets have done so much in the last week and so many people have had so many opinions about it, but I'm just like, and maybe I'm also allowing like external factors in the rest of society inform my opinions on these sort of things. But I'm like, if there is a simple solution, (laughs) just take it, you know, like we don't need to make everything We've allowed everything to be like completely over intellectualized for the purposes of saving a couple dudes a lot of money. And I I don't know. I just don't think that that's a fun way of consuming a sport, frankly. Right. It's like like Oakham's razor, you know, like signing the the best player available is probably the best move that, that you can make. You know, like it's sometimes we don't need to try and outthink ourselves. It's right there in front of us. Yeah. Um, okay. Do you have anything else that you want to talk about before we go to Bradford? Real quick update on the uh, on the A's stadium situation, which I know you're all waiting uh, with bated breath to hear about because this is this is it. Today's the day. I mean, oh, today's the day. It's now or never from okay. from here on out. Okay, um, great. Mr. Rob Manfred noted that that we are past any reasonable timeline for the situation in Oakland to to be resolved. And uh, and if they don't figure something out by January 2024, no more revenue sharing for them, which is uh, which which you know that's that's gonna hurt. Damn, Rob um, said I'll pull this car over right now. <laughs> I get this is. He he also noted that he would waive the relocation fee, the like whatever billion dollar relocation fee that teams usually have to pay. Um, what I didn't know about I, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, which I. Just treating it like broker's fees and apartments. <laughs> right. Exactly. Oh, we'll waive it. First month free, you know? <laughs> yes, Fuck exactly. it. I just, none of this makes any sense, to be quite <laughs> honest with you. The revenue sharing thing is is weird, right? Because they were, they were phased out of it back starting in 2016. And then it was reinstated this past CBA because they were like, well, you're trying to get a new stadium. So you need the money. I get it. You need cash fast we got you well, but yeah. if you capitalism don't capitalism for stadium, fans socialism for owners right exactly um again all of this is like supposedly meant to put pressure on 
the city of Oakland, maybe mm-hmm. John Fisher personally, who who whose wallet isn't going to feel a thing no matter what happens. Like, I just don't really get the political calculations that are being made here, and and they're also being made for. In a political landscape, it's very different in Oakland. Following the recent elections, there's now a new mayor. There are new city council members. There's a lot of work that went into sort of drumming up favor uh, wow. for this. Uh, That's ballpark. one way this... of saying it. <laughs> <laughs> I just there's a lot of work that yeah. went into <laughs> drumming up favor. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I just I I'm, I don't know, man. I don't know the Manfred's just reaching down into the the bottom of his bag to see what veiled threats he has left, you know. Mm-hmm. And and at this point, if you're a city council member, you're like, why do I care about this? He's like <laughs> he's like three months away from like posting on Zillow, you know, like a new stadium listing. He's like beautifully re redone kitchen, high ceilings, a lot of natural light in Las Vegas. <laughs> we'll waive the relocation fee. <laughs> Right. No feral cats outside. <laughs> anyway, in, today, in today's... unit fan base. Oh, <laughs> uh, things are so good over here. I, you know what I'll say? I am really happy for you. Thank you. You're wearing a Mets hat right now. Here's a, <laughs> yeah, okay. I, here's a question for you. Uh, are you a Mets fan? Uh, uh, yeah, I'd consider myself so. Okay. I mean, I, you know, I think that I have kind of straddled a little bit as, you know, when you and I became friends, we sort of adopted rooting for each other's teams, right? right. You um, fucked me on that deal, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just another contract that didn't look as good at the end, right? <laughs> um, again, as the A's have pulled away from me, I think I've pulled away from them. So I, here we are, man. I just I like to check in every once in a while on your budding Mets fandom, you know, to see like how how much of a transformation has taken place. You know, like are you as sick and twisted as me yet? No. But are you on right. that path is what I want to know. Like is that your arc? If I vanished off the face of the earth tomorrow, like the avatar, like you could know, I carry when, the torch? when we needed him most, he vanished. Would you still be a Mets fan or is this only like proximity based? If we had gone to college in Wyoming, you know, and we weren't like a, a subway ride away from City Field. Would you still be a Mets fan? I, I mean, would you still be a Mets fan? Yeah. Then yeah. Then I, okay, great. That's. I just want to know how real this is. You know, like this is your Mets fan, <laughs> right, Omerta. You... Like, are you <laughs> how committed to the cause are you? <laughs> right. You have commitment issues. I know. You want to know? Am I in? Am I out? <laughs> I get it. I do. I'm on I'm... one knee. <laughs> Saying, I'm becoming, will you take this Mets fandom? I really, for I life. really do. I, yeah. Okay, great. All right, sounds good. This podcast is getting a little bit more unhinged than I anticipated, than I intended it to. So, uh, why don't we take a quick break? And when we come back, we'll bring in very reasonable, very accomplished, very professional journalist Bradford William Davis. Sometimes I want to fit a pain, so squeeze my heart. Oh yeah. We are once again. Overjoyed, delighted to be joined by returning guest Bradford William Davis. Hello, Bradford. It's so great to see you. Investigative reporter at Insider. Is that your title? Investigative reporter? You're certainly doing some investigation of the Major League <laughs> Baseball right. Corporation. 
right? these days. You, you are I'm literally like, covering baseball. Like that is your your coverage sphere. I feel like covering, <laughs> uncovering, exactly. dissecting. Yes, or should we say baseballs? <laughs> plural, comma plural. Um, yeah, man, that's me. I'm an investigator reporter for Insider. Bradford, you're here uh, because we like you, and you're our friend, and you've been on many times, and we love to chat with you. But you're also here because you wrote quite a quite a bombshell, I would say, that you've been working on for a while. You've been covering the beat of the baseballs. I'm sure most of our listeners have probably seen or read this story and if they hadn't the link is in the description and you should go give it a full read before this chat but um you wrote a story uh six days ago now at this point about how a follow-up on your story from last year that you confirmed that major league baseball used two different baseballs um the composition of them the weight of them the bounciness how far they would travel and this year along with research from meredith wills um determined that there is a third baseball a third baseball one baseball for each person on this Zoom talking on this podcast right now. So <laughs> can you, for people who maybe haven't read it or who read it a week ago and are, are forgetting some of the scientific details, can you, I guess, just describe the, the difference between these three baseballs um, as they emerged in your research? Sure. So last year, we dropped the story about Major League Baseball using two baseballs, uh, one uh, more juiced than the other meaning it carries further the crack of the bat. The way Major League Baseball has uh, done this, and this has been explained in, in their own um, internal correspondence about how they adjust the baseball, is, they, is by raising or lowering the weight. Uh, when you keep the, the size of the ball the same, but you, you know, raise or lower it, that either uh, increases the ball's flight or decreases it. Um, so what we found this year was that both of those uh, balls – you know, the juice and the dead were still in circulation, though admittedly mostly the dead, which is what Major League Baseball has asserted is like the ball that they intend to use this year going forward. Uh, however, what we found was about, uh, we, had, we had over 200 baseballs, our largest sample ever um, total, but like about 18, 20% of them or so uh, were this like other weight in the middle. Uh, about a but gram wait, heavier, a yes. third ball. Yeah, about a gram heavier than uh, than the average we found for the dead ball. And so when we were like, we were like, oh, okay. Um, and the, but wait, there's more. It's also double verified the same way the juice and dead ball were by the week it was manufactured. What we found last year, and you know, uh, is that the production week that the you know um, baseball was made in, uh, like does it have you know, or they're like discrete production weeks, meaning like juice are in week A, B, C, dead, E, F, G, you know? And now this new third ball also, or it was H, I, J, so to speak, you know? And so, um, so yeah, we found basically in 2022, they were manufacturing the dead and the this new heavier ball uh, throughout the season. We call it the Goldilocks ball because it's not too hot, not too cold, not too heavy, not too light, kind of the middle between, you know, the two uh, current polars of what, you know, baseballs have been the last few years. And so because it is heavier than a dead ball, it is, uh, you know, it has an expected performance change that should lead to it carrying more. So you might even call it semi-juice, you know, like the point is it does more. And so that was, you know, essentially what we found on the, on the pure forensics of this year was that like, yeah, uh, a sizable handful within our sample were uh, heavier than the dead ball. It's juiced like Chris Evans for Captain America, not like Arnold Schwarzenegger in the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> well said. So I guess my first question is, 
what is going on? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, like I, when when this story kind of first started to come to light in 2021, right, where you were kind of looking, discovered that there were two different balls in circulation after Manfred sort of claimed at the start of the season that they were using this new manufacturing process. He, you, you had this report that came out. You found that there were multiple balls in use. He blamed it on kind of a COVID-era manufacturing issue at Rawlings, right? And, and then they said, well, right, you know? exactly. Supply chain. You can blame everything on the supply chain. Like the reason this pot is a day late is supply chain. <laughs> but, but, you know, here we are a year later, and we're having the exact same conversation. So... I, I wish I had a more sophisticated question beyond what's what's going on. But like, what is the thought process behind this? Especially when they now know that everyone is looking at this. Well, um, the, the for one thing is that the change is admittedly subtler. So it's harder to immediately sort of like see, I think, especially for, you know, people like us in the seats, you know, um, the differences, though they are in fact, real, you know, and, and systematic, systematic, clear manufacturing changes with these, you know, with the sample of, you know, the quote unquote Goldilocks balls that are made in different weeks than the dead balls. But um, the other thing is, you know, um, Major League Baseball has, has expressed quite explicitly a vested interest in not, in people not in understanding more about what is going on with the baseball, which is a yeah. big part of the story. Uh, and that's Austin Slater, who uh, is, you know, a, the, the uh, outfield for San Francisco Giants, not the one that they uh, wanted the absolute most apparently during the offseason, but but a longtime veteran, a good player, and you know, in his own right, um, would have looked uh, very good next to Aaron Judge. But regardless, he's uh, you know, he, he's uh, he's also a big part of the MLBPA. Um, like he's very involved in a, in a number of committees, including the rule change committee that kind of like you know, push through some of the things like the pitch clock or whatever. Um, uh, and, uh, yeah, he's like, I want to get to the bottom of this. I want to understand more what, what, what's going on. And so he started to, he, he wanted to collect baseballs to send to Meredith Wills, uh, after reading her, after reading our first article last year. And, um, when that happened, uh, he got a, he got message, uh, from major league baseball, a high ranking executive major league baseball through, uh, via the EPA saying, Hey, eh, I'm paraphrasing here, but don't send balls to Meredith. Uh, we don't really trust their science and methodology here. And also, um, if you do, we might fire people <laughs> for uh, <laughs> your panic to descending baseballs out. And he's like, okay, message received. Yeah. I'm not going to do that because I don't, because I mean, it's not about him, the, you know, the, the millionaire athlete who, you know, is in arbitration and, you know, is a solid player and everything that has a career ahead of him, you know, um, and uh, one uh, that, though, never, I guess, never say never is unlikely to be thwarted, you know, by, you know, uh, helping out a third party scientist or something, but he was, you know, but he's worried about the clubbies. He's worried about like the dudes who do not have union, you know, uh, protection here, uh, being harmed just because he was curious, you know? And so, uh, and so he shut that down. We didn't get anything from the giants, you know, really, except for like one ball. I think that Meredith, uh, was in attendance for at, uh, AT&T park and the guy next to her caught the ball and gave it to her. Like, that's it. That's all yeah. for, for, for San Fran. So, um, you know, so yeah, so basically whatever, whatever message, you want to call it though MLB uh, denied it being a threat, you know, but certainly since you perceive it as a threat, it works. So as you've tried to, you know, garner comments from them on this issue, as you've reported, you know, with this Austin Slater piece and them saying that they don't want to give baseballs over for research. I guess the part that I don't understand is 
what do they have to lose by being more transparent about the baseball? Because to me, this seems like a, a larger issue where it's not just that the baseballs are different. I think that people could stomach the fact that there are difference, differences in manufacturing that would lead to different baseballs. I think people could even be okay with the fact that they're trying out very slightly different baseballs within the season to get data sets on how they perform to determine what baseball they want to use for the future. Now, I think that would be harder for people to accept, but I think that most fans could be okay with that if they were transparent about it. But they're they're doing the exact opposite. And so the erosion of the fans' trust, and most importantly, maybe the erosion of the players' trust, to me, doesn't really make sense as to why they're not being more... Like, do you, ever, do you see a world in which this kind of reporting or this kind of conversation around the baseball ever leads to a, an, a third-party independent review of this process so that they can kind of put this story to rest once and for all? Or do you think that they'll just continue to treat this like state secrets for some nebulous reason? Man, I'm not equipped to say what Major League Baseball will want, will want to. I, you know, um, I'm still blown at the fact that we found another baseball. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's still like, you know, the, the, the evidence at least of such, you know? Um that is uh that's still wild to me um i think that if there is to be some sort of outside party looking into it um it would probably come it's not going to come to major league baseball uh or i should say it has not come to major league baseball being super transparent about it but the lack of transparency raising you know perhaps questions and alarms elsewhere so i think any sort of industry that may have any sort of financial stake in um you know, uh, information about how the baseball works is, you know, might be, it might have an interest. Certainly, you know, players, you know, making us think of it, perhaps, you know, being uh, seen eventually as a labor issue, though, again, I'm not equipped to speak, you know, you know, so how the PA views it. Um, they, for the kind of comment, you know, on the story, but like, uh, but clearly the players, you know, <laughs> are, are, are super pissed about it. Yeah, you know, they, you know, they got, did not decline you know, to comment. And we, and we, yeah, Justin we got, Verlander, and we got, Chris Bassett, like these guys did not decline to comment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we got, you know, um, like for our story, like this, you know, we got Scherzer, Clayton Kershaw, you know, Chris Archer, like dudes who like, you know, have some clout around the league. And, you know, and with Verlander, with Verlander, three of the best, the three best pitchers of this current era, all being like, hey, something's wrong here. You know, and Nick, and Nick Castellanos going deep to left <laughs> on the league <laughs> by, um, you know, alleged, you know, by, by basically drawing comparisons to the over in, over in uh, the NFL. And so, um, yeah, so there's, you know, so to me, I think anyone with a financial stake, which includes players, to be clear, because if there's a ball that is changing their formats and if it's un- and also if it's inequitably distributed around the league, um, then uh, that could potentially affect stat lines that, you know, that create people, you know, that creates uh, tension around, you know, as far as like, am I being, you know, am I, am I operating on a level playing field that allows uh, other teams to properly evaluate my worth? Well, level or trans- level and transparent, I should say, you know, to, to, so it's truly different, you know, like, for example, Colorado, for example, before the humidor was used in all 30 stadiums, the Rockies you know, were exclusively using humidor for years, you know, so that's not level, but it's like transparent, you know, yeah. it's like, okay, so the ball is, form- is ball is designed to perform a little differently here because of what we're doing, you know, with the humidor, you know, not the construction per se, but the, you know, but the, but what we do after the fact. Yes. So like, you know, but again, that's transparent, you know, so like, you know, so when, uh, you know, someone hits hit 330 one year and 310 the next, you have a, like some, some understanding of perhaps it's a humidor, you know, depressing that. Um, this, is, this is a whole different ballgame. 
uh, again, sorry, the puns are so easy, but they're like, <laughs> no. not, they're by promise and not intended. Like, as to like, you know, with, with uh, the existence of multiple manufacturing processes that are used in the same, you know, that are, that are, that are um, used and then also applied within the same season at times. So, should, should we just go around in a circle right here, um, like an improv group and try to come up with as many ball puns as possible? Like, the, <laughs> the ball's in Rob Manfred's court now. <laughs> balls don't lie. Alex, you're that up. Was the, that was a good one. Um, the, uh, the, <laughs> the, the, the ball, the thing about the, the balls to the to the wall <laughs> whether or not they're ju- i don't know you got to give me some time i'm getting over sickness Worst i'm not in mid season format now <laughs> Worst freestyle ever <laughs> get off the stage yeah mom can you pick me up from the rap battle they're all in front of me now <laughs> um one of the one of the most interesting kind of uh storylines to to come out of this investigation were, was the the sort of discovery of the circumstances under which these Goldilocks balls were uh, being used, right? And they were really popping up in these sort of marquee events, like uh, that that you know demand some sort of commemorative ball, like the Home Run Derby or the All Star Game, um, as well as postseason games and <laughs> Yankees games. Um, without reading too much into like the specific use cases of this right because like a part of me sort of understands you know you have these nationally televised games or you have say a home run race that you don't want to be seen as tampering with you want to make sure you have all your ducks in a row so like let's put the the median ball out there right the not too hot not too cold ball but like how much of this do you think is actual like tampering on their part i don't want to say malice but like is intentional and how much do you think can you actually chalk up to incompetence or this sort of manufacturing process that they keep sort of alluding to because when you look at it laid out on the table these three different buckets of balls and these very specific use cases it's hard to see it as something that you really can just hand wave away right the ev- evidence keeps mounting to a point where you're like we can't keep trusting every single thing right so one of the things that's really important about last year's study is that even though we found two distinct balls uh we did not find any sort of relationship or pattern to where the balls were found meaning you know which is actually what the league um and manfred have said well, manfred specifically said we randomized how the balls were sent out, you know, as a matter of not putting the thumb on the scale for any one team and the expected performance and the performances that would, you know, both from that. Um, again, whether or not they accomplish that is not, you know, is something that is again, difficult to ascertain, you know, and it's difficult to ascertain this year as well. But like, you know, that is what they said. And I can say that we didn't find a pattern this year within our sample. We did right. Like you, like, as you just mentioned, you know, um, balls that were appear to be set aside for special occasions, like again, commemorative ball, you know, all star game home run derby, uh, the postseason, including the World Series, all four rounds, we found them. Like most, most of our postseason balls actually, like I think 16 of them were 20 balls, you know, that we got from there. So 80%, right? Or like all were, were the Goldilocks, right? Um, and then of course the Yankees. Um and uh, you know, and so that was uh, you know, that was telling, right? I, I should say it, it was no, let me say it's notable, you know, because uh, we know that uh, Major League Baseball uh, and their, you know, the logistics of how many balls are, are are sent and information provided to back back to the league 
uh, there is a lot of tracking of that, you know, like that, you know, um, when you, if you've ever been on a field uh, during a game, which I guess, you, you know, you win unless you're a player or a reporter, or maybe, you know, maybe like a friend of a, of a player or something like that, like UNC, but they, they, they come with these red boxes and they have a code on it, you know, that is actually reported back by Major League Baseball's game compliance monitors. Those are guys who make sure no one's cheating, basically, mm-hmm. you know, and they send that and they send whatever box is being used, like, like used for that game back to the league office, you know, before the game starts. So that is like, you know, a part of what happens every single day before you play a game, which means that, again, there should be no surprises as to which ball, you know, is being used. If those, you know, especially if those codes correspond with all whatsoever with the batch codes, which I, uh, you know, again, cannot, I don't have the, 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 uh, you know, uh, the secret email that said that it goes at all, but like, you know, but it would be surprising to, you know, for it to not be that way. But anyway, but, but his DMS um, are open yeah. guys. If you <laughs> do have that secret email, by all means, man, you know, signal, whatever, yeah. you know, it's whatever sort of encryption uh, I'm here for you. But, um, but yeah, the, but the most important thing is say, I guess it's in all this again, is yeah, that like mo- almost, and, and I almost brilliantly here, almost every single baseball that we found during the regular season was dead. Um, except in one place. And that was, and that was with the Yankees, like, and that's across many other parks, you know, dozens. Uh, and so that, whether that is so wait, by really intent, quickly, wait, just for specification, only at Yankee stadium though. Right. Like not, they oh, weren't at actually, Yankees games on the road. That's actually an important clarification. Right. And so what, what I kind of wish was, was in the body of the article first, because I had like a footnote that, you know, got cut like last second, but basically here's what I mean. Here's what I mean when we say Yankees games, anything that was played, you know, actually in game, you know, um, at Yankee Stadium counts, right? Also, balls that the Yankees hit during their home batting practice also count. Why? Because those are balls that are shipped from Major League Baseball to Yankee Stadium. But we only also found, you know, relevant, you know, thought as a relevant factor here, where balls that were sent to, you know, not balls that are sent, excuse me, but, uh, balls hit by the Yankees on their road VP. Why? And you wouldn't know this unless you're like, you know, reporting like, like I am, but like, um, or a player is, but, but when teams go on the road and they bring, you know, uh, they bring baseballs set to their home ballparks with them for batting practice. They just, it's just like a, a totally normative thing that every team does, not just the Yankees, you know, um, when they, when they do BP on the road. So like, so while something could get mixed in, it is highly unlikely that it wasn't up that, that those road BP balls that we collected, you know, from Yankees, you know, from the Yankees were not balls sent to Yankee stadium. So that's when we say when we use that when we make that county Yankees, you know, eleven Goldilocks from you know from, from the Yankees. Um, yeah. And so, uh, you know, so I just hope that clarifies for you know for inquiring minds and everything like that. You know, it does. Obviously, yeah. there's always that sort of like you know tension here of like trying to uh, make the you know the narrative flow as simple as possible so that everyone can get it, while also trying to add like you know the important context and nuance. You know, but like, but the, but those are what we found is relevant. If it was like a home BP ball, let's say like the Brewers, a Brewers Yankees game, you know, like that win, you know, that win factor into our count for like Yankees games to me, like that's, doesn't matter as much, but like, um, or, or at all really, you know, but what does matter, you know, are the road, are the road ones because those were brought by the Yankees to the, you know, to the field that they're playing in, you know, for batting practice. So anyway, so, um, yeah, I, I hope that explains here, but you know, but if you, I'm not sure if you had more of a question on top of that, but you know, that's, that's what I mean. You can want to give the benefit of the doubt in maybe a singular scenario, but when this sort of pattern comes up over and over again, I'm like, I, you're not giving either us, the the fans, or you, the reporters, or the players, really much of a reason to 
take your word at face value, especially when last year he was like, no, yes, you guys, when last year Manfred was like, yes, your reporting is correct. We actually did use two baseballs. And then this year he's like, uh, sorry, that's the research is completely inaccurate. And, uh, (laughs) and I can't say why, but I can tell you that it is, you know, like. Mm -hmm. And that's actually an important thing that you, that you sort of like touch on in a Jason way, Alex, Um, what the major league baseball did was they did provide some comments from their researchers uh, you know, at their partner labs at University of Mass Lowell, as well as University of Washington, right? And they, they and, this, and over there they have some, you know, these laboratories where they're studying the baseball baseball performance, and both of them attested to, according to our studies, we did not see any sort of difference, you know, in the in uh, in the how the ball was performing, right? We just, you know, we saw no evidence of multiple baseballs. Uh, I called one of those. You know, I called both of them actually. One one went straight to voicemail, but uh. But the person at the University of Massachusetts did pick up the phone and, and during it, and I was able to ask some questions about methodology, most of which they declined because uh, they uh, basically they needed your partner approval, partner meaning partner meaning major league baseball in order to be able to comment on methodology. I would I, I personally don't think that's a particularly scientific answer, but hey, like you know, uh, but you know, they but if they have an NDA or some sort of that I'm aware, you know, I I get that, right? Like they're legally bound. But what they did confirm was that uh, the scientists, the researcher did confirm was that they did not study postseason baseballs. That's really important because that means what they, what they are conceding is that they looked at different data than we did. Like, and of course, if you look at different data, you're going to get different results. Yeah. <laughs> like there's, there's no, there's no way around that. You know, you need to be able to look, look at that. And an overwhelming amount of the Goldilocks baseballs that we found, like about half of them were in the postseason. Like, you know, um, and it's not not like we were trying to per se, like, you know, you know, we weren't waiting them before we got the baseballs. We just got what we could and, 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 and they turned up Goldilocks, you know. Um, so uh, if that, you know, so that's a, to me a major issue. If you are uh, bringing it, you know, this is for Major League Baseball mostly, primarily, but to bring in scientists knowing that we did a different study than they did and, and using the scientists to to allegedly refute our, you know, our findings when their findings had to be different on some level, but, you know, because they weren't looking at the same stuff. So um, that is a, uh, you know, that I, I, that's one, of the, if, if there was one thing that like, I wish people could see a little bit more than like judge 62 asterisk, you know, fraud, you know, asterisk forever, like, which is a whole lot of y'all. <laughs> I see you, I see you all mostly laughing, but you know, but let's, you know, to, 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 uh, lower the temperature a bit. That's the thing is like, you know, bring, you know, bring out, trotting out science, trying out, trotting out, accomplished researchers with, with credentials in their field and having them um, spout out findings that uh, could, that, that, that do not necessarily overlap with the research that we did. Yeah. I mean, far be it for me to make excuses for major league baseball. And this is why it's so frustrating that they won't be more transparent about this, but like you could see a world in which the, when the postseason rolls around, you say, Hey, let's put a ball that's not juiced like the, like the 2019 ball, but it's not as dead as this new regular season ball that we've tried to create because it's 40 degrees out there. And so how is anybody going to hit a home run when it's as cold and those external factors are changing how the ball performs more than they are during the course of the regular season? But they're just not saying any of that. So like, I don't know how I'm supposed to give them the benefit of the doubt if they're denying that there are these separate balls in for different use cases, which, like you said, Bradford, you are looking at different use cases based on what you know about baseball and based on what you know about the production process and how these balls get sent and when they get sent 
and knowing that you might use different balls for a home run derby, knowing that it would make sense to have a commemorative baseball for the All-Star game. Not just looking at a data set of every single ball that was used blindly, because that is just such a wide swath of data that it it's not really telling a story, the same kind of story that it would be to look at the postseason and see if it changed from the regular season. Like That's an important demarcation point qualitatively, not just quantitatively, and, that, and one thing that people add, should be factoring into their research. And one thing I'll add, Bobby, is that um, in 2019, uh, there was a more thorough study of drag uh, done around the 2019 postseason baseball. Because if you recall, there were a lot of a lot of, a lot of uh, players like out, you know, who were who had been rock, watching this ball just like carry out, you know, if they with like a flick of the wrist, you know. And now it's like, you know, and, and then it was dying in the outfield. Um, that in, and Rob, we don't say Rob Arthur from Baseball Texas found that the drag, you know, coefficient had, in, you know, it had in fact increased, meaning that like, you know. Um, the baseball was not carrying as far as far, even though he did not have forensic data. He certainly, you know, he had drag data with which to attest to that. So it was definitely on my mind as to like, you know, could the postseason ball be different, you know, um, as you know, normal, normatively. And, you know, that certainly, you know, appeared to be the case. My, my last question for you, Bradford is how much of this, so this is clearly, this is a thing. There are different baseballs. MLB is using different baseballs to the extent to which they intend to, for whatever reason, we can't and shouldn't speculate at this point with what we know. But it's clear that there are different baseballs that are being used because of the production process, which they own and they control. They own Rawlings, the company that makes these baseballs. They bought them a few years ago. Do you think this has just always been going on? We've just never paid attention to it because we didn't know. Nobody studied it. Nobody looked at the science. Like, Do you think all the way back to Babe Ruth, there was just like randomly juiced balls that were flying out way more and that this is just a function of like living in an information age that we know all of this stuff? That's a really cool question. I mean, look, I think ultimately the 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 ball specifications are so broad that like kind of anything is possible with that because yeah. because they're so broad. And that's part of the and that's actually part of the issue with Major League Baseball statement is that they keep on saying, yeah, all the balls are legal. We know we're not we're not contesting that there are illegal baseballs here. It's all within the rules. The problem is that the rules are so broad that you can do multiple things within the rules that do, you know, that have multiple outcomes. And we know that because we saw what happened in 2019. And then also we saw what happened this year as, as again, there is a mostly dead ball that appears to be circulating per MLB's, you know, statement, which is entirely dead, you know, but like, um, and so, uh, you know, anyway, there, there, there is, uh, the ball is ex- extremely likely varied, you know, over the course of, you know, a century. Um, again, I don't have a, you know, Honus Wagner baseball with which to dissect <laughs> and tell you whether or not it was juice or dead, but like, as you know, that's a totally, uh, it would not shock me whatsoever if there were, you know, if there had been extreme changes, whether and even if it wasn't by nefarious means, you know, or, you know, and I'm not saying I'm not saying, saying that we concluded nefarious means this year, but like, you know, but just that this difference exists. Um, but like, uh, you know, it, just the, the fact that the ball specs are so broad, um, you could do a whole lot, you know, by intent or by accident to make things different. Yeah, that was something that. um that uh that physicist uh alan nathan pointed out in the article right is that the the specifications for the balls almost don't even deserve to be called specifications because that that margin is so big the top end and the bottom end can be completely different so again the ball has to be somewhere between one gram and ten thousand pounds basically (laughs) um 
I my 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 last question isn't really a, a question; it's more of an, an observation. I uh, I just thought it was interesting that uh, one of the biggest free agent signings uh, in Major League Baseball history just happened to uh, break on the same day that this uh, article dropped. Again, <laughs> I'm not I'm not saying anything. I just thought it was real interesting to wake up to. <laughs> oh yeah, you know me and John Heyman, my best friend John Heyman, uh, you know, uh, conspired with uh, Farhan. To uh, you know, to suppress Aaron Judge's market value, like that is uh, you know that's a thing that happens all the time in in, in, in sports media, especially my neck of the woods. And uh, you know, and I love working with John Hammond; he's a great partner in in the, in the suppression of freedom values. So no, no, hey, I, <laughs> no I, honestly, I was I was cracking up when I had I was at the winter meeting, so I was there for you know for Arson Judge and and all of that. I was like, yo, this is mad funny, like you know that. Uh, <laughs> That like uh, the same time around the same time of my article, like you know, there's this thing, and so a lot of people were speculating on social media. They're like, "Oh yeah, look, <laughs> look what happened. Look at the coordination. The fix is in." Right. Um, yeah. But no, nah, no, nah, I, I had no idea. There's just there is no good way to talk about any of this stuff without without seeming like the meme from "It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia" with the corkboard behind you. But you know what? They, there's there are some That's... answers on that corkboard sometimes. You know that that is how some crimes get solved. That is how some conspiracies get, uh, you know, un- un- unraveled. So yeah, I try, for- I try not to be Charlie Day, you know, partially by being <laughs> literate, <laughs> but like also, you know, by just kind of doing, you know, thorough good research with a, with a someone far smarter than I am, and, and it's Dr. Meredith Wills, um, you know, conducting tremendous research on on the stuff that has been proven and ver- even and even verified in past articles on Major League Baseball. You know, certainly not disputed anyway. So um, yeah, we you know we stand on. Aren't we stand on an article? You know, we, we definitely want, you know, um, you know, want to continue to be able to, to uh, offer clarifications, you know, where we're needed, you know, as far as some of the shorthand terminology we use with which to describe, you know, longer things like, for example, what is the Yankees ball? But like, yeah, um, yeah, we're, we're, we're proud of the work we're doing and, uh, you know, watch out for us because we, <laughs> just because we're still around. I know, because you're working on uh, an article about the fourth baseball next year <laughs> already, right? That's already out of pipeline. <laughs> no can you name Can you name the fourth baseball after us? Like, if it's, like, extremely weighted to the left side, you know, like, where... There you go. <laughs> tipping pitches ball. Tipping yeah. pitches ball. Yeah. Um, Bradford, thank you so much. Do you have anything else that you're working on that you'd like people to go check out right now? I know, I know your stories are very um, deep dives that come out not very frequently compared to what your previous job was, but... What's uh what's one thing that you want people to go check out? Yeah, so you know, about about a week ago, week before the baseball article came out, maybe two weeks, um, I dropped a actually a long investigation on uh as part of a package that we did on uh homicides of transgender people throughout the United States. And so um, you know, I strongly encourage you to uh to look at this package called Death Deaths in the Family. And we, you know, where we hope to, to provide a compassionate and honest, you know, look at uh, you know, um what trans people in the United States face. Um and so uh, I, I feel proud of my contribution. I, I spent a lot of time in Washington, D.C. speaking to, uh, to, to a uh, woman in the trans community who lost, you know, two people within a short period of time from each other on the same block, you know, um, and, uh, you know, and, and who believe the murders are connected to the police have always, have always uh, sort of downplayed or if not disputed, you know, that connection. But like we found some interesting things through a uh, FOIA document, you know, uh, retrieval uh, that might attest to a uh, more of a link than what has been publicly stated by the law enforcement in the area. So anyway, that's, that's, but that's my contribution. There's, there are more, there are, there are more that's already out there, more that are coming. And so, uh, you know, given that, um, you know, violence as in, in the United States is on the rise period and certainly trans, trans people, you know, feel that in a, in a different way, you know, like, uh, I, 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 you know, we hope to, uh, 
provide clear explanations that hopefully lead to, to, to change for, for their lives and all of us, really. So that's my last, uh, that's my last plug. Awesome. Bradford, thank you so much for, for joining us. It's always a pleasure. All right, y'all. Thank you, brother. You're one of our faves. One of our faves. All right, Alex. We're running short on time here. We did get two listener questions in our replies when I put out that call earlier today. Um, however, both of them we've answered in the past, so I'll just point people back to those answers. Uh, the first one comes from Brandon. What would be your three go-to walk-up songs? Well, only one Taylor Swift song per host, please. Brandon knows his audience. Um, I believe we answered that question in great detail on the 200th episode mailbag, which came out in 2021. So, Brandon, if you'd like to go check out that episode. Um, and the wow, other one comes... you, re- you really said read the fucking column. Damn, yeah. we're not answering it in the replies. <laughs> read the column. And then the other one comes from Ken. What is your ideal arrangement of MLB? Who owns it? Real changes, profit distribution, etc. The real reason I wanted to point this one out was so that I could point Ken back to two episodes that we did in our past, which, you know, I've plugged often on this show and I like to take an opportunity to whenever possible because I feel like they are both of those these episodes are a bit of a mission statement for our show and are still eminently listenable given the state of baseball and the state of the discourse around it and our conversation to open this show. Um, the first one is called Could Fans Own a Team? This is just me and Alex going through the hypothetical situations and breaking down other sports leagues' um, fan own, fan ownership structures um, and how it's worked um, internationally and whether or not it could work in Major League Baseball. And then the second is called So You Want to Own a Baseball Team with uh, featuring Rob Maines, um, who is a wonderful writer over at Baseball Prospectus and knows a lot about how owners make their money, why they make the decisions that they do, Rob has a lot of experience in the finance world that he could speak to um, in in more quantitative ways than just our qualitative analysis of how all this stuff works. So those are two episodes that I would go back and check out. Um, sorry to all the people who have already heard those episodes just for plugging them again. Alex, anything else to leave the people with this week? I think that mostly covers everything. I mean, are we... It, is it a dereliction of our duties that we that we didn't make like an arson judge joke or like a like a Coke Hamels joke, you know? I mean, we are like baseball content people, so like we gotta we gotta go for the lowest hanging hanging fruit, right? Do you think John Heyman would come on the pod? Yeah. I think so too. You know why? Because he famously blocks everybody, right? And you know, he hasn't blocked either of us or the tipping pitches account. Right. So that would lead just, me to believe. Despite, despite we, we've made fi- quite a few um, kind Overtures. of attempts at that. Right. So the only reasonable conclusion that I could make from that is that he likes what we're doing here at Tipping Pitches. Right. He's down He's with the aware, cause. He respects us. Comrade John, come on the pod. If you're listening to this right now <laughs> and you're feeling like a little troll, what I want you to do is I want you to tweet at John Heyman and say, hey, Heard that the Tipping Pitches podcast wants to have you on. I would love to hear you there. <laughs> I don't know how I would talk to this man or like what I would talk with him about. You know, yeah, like, I'm not interested true. in talking like transactions. No, that's extremely true. Like what he's not even one of the funnier ones that we could bait into no. coming on our podcast. Right. Nightingale would be far funnier. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. 
like I have to assume Nightingale's got like a shred of self-awareness at this point. You know, like he can't be that might be giving him too much credit, but I I at least think he's probably a little more self-aware than than Heyman. Mhm. Like there's no way Nightingale has escaped the memes that he has spawned, right? Like he's got to know. Heyman feels like the kind of guy who who tweets and then shuts off his phone. I can't tell. I can never tell who's like a scroller, who's like who's deep in their own mentions or not, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could it's pretty obvious when people are like replying to their mentions all of the time, but I kind of think that like anybody who tweets that much also reads their mentions that much. You think? Yeah. You know who definitely doesn't read his mentions? Peter Gammons because he like tweets from a he tweets by texting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he that service he's like the one of the last five people <laughs> right. using exactly. that service still. So, he's texting to 40404 like that's <laughs> That is literally I back in the day I was like 14. I was so cool being on Twitter. I'm like, yeah. I know I have to send my message in like multiple messages, but it's fine. I'll get it out there. I love that he's there are still some people clinging to to the old ways, you know? Mm-hmm. He's keeping it alive. All right. The voicemail number to call in 785-422-5881. Please call and let us know which member of baseball media you would like us to try to bait into coming on the Tipping Pitches podcast. Because we're going to make this a democracy. By popular demand, we're going to ask Anthony DeComo to come back on. (laughs) I don't know. You tell us. Thank you for listening to another episode of Tipping Pitches. We'll be back next week. Uh, I'm Alex Rodriguez. Tipping pitches. Tipping pitches. This is the one that I love the most. Tipping pitches. So we'll see you next week. See ya!